0: Well, good morning, everyone. I see you've braved the weather, the rain. Actually, when you guys got here, there was pretty much a break in it, right? We were okay? I got here around 8 o'clock a little after. This is not the shirt I arrived in, by the way. I even had a big coat on. Like, I woke up, just rain, rain, rain. I even thought to myself, maybe I'll just watch the live stream today. But that... (laughs) That wouldn't work out. But speaking of live stream, hello to those watching at home. I imagine there's a number who felt like, you know, it's just a cozy morning, but for those of you here, thank you for coming out in this weather. Well, um, if you were with us at the very beginning of the service, that's most of you, and some were still getting their coffee in the lobby, but we were able to show just a nice two-minute recap of our sports camp this last week. Who was around for that part of it, volunteered a show of hands? Many of us. Yeah, it was a fantastic week, everyone. If you weren't part of it, you missed it. Uh, there's a number of things kind of wanted to celebrate with sports camp. Um, one, I know we had about 90 kids uh, from the community participate this year. This is over that last year. I know thing, something we were excited about was at least a quarter of those kiddos had no church home at all. So I know our volunteers and Tammy, our kids minister, were kind of ringing the bell like, hey, approach and have conversation with everyone as if they don't know Jesus because uh, it's just one of those weeks where the spiritual potential is just very, very high. And we we're, ex- were excited to hear a number of stories where, you know, that spiritual meter, that needle's kind of moving on some kiddos and even making some decisions. Um, but the volunteer response was fantastic. Um, even people came in on the Saturday before for a four-hour training, which I was like, four hours, that's a lot. But uh, when I was I was like, okay, I get it. I feel like confident. It's going to be a really, really good week for, for all of us. Um, again, there's any number of things we can celebrate from a sports camp. But one thing that I noticed, and someone pointed out to me, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, we had, I mean, again, volunteer response was fantastic. But uh, you all need to know, just like the next level of like the junior hires and the high school students we have around this church, uh, we had so many—not only so many, but they were willing to do anything and everything with a smile on their face and excited to do it. So I know the adults were appreciative, but we've never had that kind of level of excited participation from our students before. So one, that's round of applause for them. <laughs> Even though they're next door right now. Um, But also, that is a testament to your kids minister, Tammy Stahl, and your student minister, Nathan Mitchell. They've been working toward that kind of culture, and it's bearing some fruit. So if you see them, uh, give them a big high five, all that. And then last piece, I'll speak to this a little bit at the end, but... Um, Just like us, Southwest, one of our summer mission partners is Kindness Backpack and VBS. They kind of took that on as, you know, the organization they're raising money for. And of course, it was a competition between the boys and the girls through the week because you have to have that. But uh, just they've gotten a good start on this force, but they raised nearly just shy of $750, just kindergarten through fifth graders, So any number of things to celebrate. So once again, we're thrilled with sports camp. Mark your calendars for next summer. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll uh, dive into this message, just kind of continuing in this worship series. So pray with me. Father, I thank you for um, not just every person in the room, but every person in the building. Just taking a step inside means uh, we're just answering that pull, that yearning, that, um, that tug, that we want to know you more. We want to experience you more. Because we're in this building with this uh, group of people, um, we want to become less ourselves and more like your son, Jesus. Even if uh, we feel distant from you, I pray that uh, through Scripture this morning, or songs that we've sung, that um, we can feel a marked difference in um, maybe our composure, maybe just our demeanor, maybe even our habits and thoughts, but we want to leave the building excited. We want to have a new or a refined understanding of what it means to worship. But uh, help us all uh, focus on your words, and we ask your Holy Spirit to help us hear exactly what we need to hear, and because of that, uh, behave differently, live life differently. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So there once were two people. These are made-up people. But as I talk about these two individuals, I want you to tell me who the true worshiper is among them. So one goes to Southwest Church almost every Sunday. If she's in town, she is here. She thinks Larry and the band do a marvelous job, and they do, with the songs every single week. And it's her absolute favorite part of the service. In fact, she could care less who's preaching on any given Sunday. But she even sometimes invites people to come to Southwest strictly for the worship music. And every time she leaves the building on a Sunday morning, just like this one, she thinks to herself, I can't wait to worship God again next week. Other person goes to Southwest a handful of times a year, and that's being generous. He doesn't quite get the whole corporate Sunday morning gathering. It's just not for him. That's a phrase he might say. But every morning, seven days a week, When he wakes up, he prays and thanks God for the blessings he's been given. And not just like a, you know, not just a check off the list prayer, but like a genuine grateful prayer. And then when it's still quiet because he gets up early, he drives to a local park with lots of trees, lots of wildlife, and makes a point to take his time and feel the peace and closeness of Jesus. And on Sundays, since that is the Lord's day in his mind, even if he's not at the church building, he typically fasts, like he's just drinking water all day. He makes a point of doing that. And he often tells his friends and family, I love worshiping God. Of these two people, which one is the true worshiper? If you want to tell your guess to your neighbor, that'd be more than fine. Neither one, actually. We'll get into that. We're in the second week of this series called Worship Reboot. And our senior minister, Roger Hendricks, he kicked things off last week with some material from the New Testament Book of Romans, or more than a book, it's, more of a, it's actually a letter. But he covered a lot of material, but one of the main points from our time last week and the passages that he brought up was that many of us need a renewed understanding of what it means to worship. And that's actually been a felt need here at Southwest, as it's been on our to-do list to bring a series on worship for a few years now. Uh, just so you know, kind of a behind-the-scenes sort of things. Typically, every August or September, the ministry staff, we get together. We do some praying. We kind of look at, hey, where have, our, where have we been sermon series-wise over the past couple of years? Where do we think we need to go based on what where God is leading us? And we just kind of have a brainstorming uh, session of, hey, what are some possible series for, in this case, it'll be, you know, 2023. We'll probably have this meeting in a, in a month or so. And we'll throw out like, you know, 25, 30 solid ideas. And like, up until now, like, that worship series has been on there for a while. And just like, you know what? The time is now. We feel, like we feel like God is saying, time to bring this worship series, this worship reboot idea to Southwest. But there's a reason that we landed on this series titled Worship Reboot. And it's because of this it's because many Jesus followers have a very narrow view of what it means to worship. And I don't want you to mishear me. It's not that we're getting worship wrong. It's that maybe we're not getting it completely right. Are you comfortable with that tension? Comfortable with that understanding? Again, we're not getting it wrong, but maybe we're not maybe getting all of what it is supposed to be and what it can be. To kind of help us, speaking of this reboot word, here's just one definition of that word that could serve us this morning. Here it is, reboot. To make a change in something in order to establish a new beginning. Okay, nothing profound, nothing earth-shattering, but there it is. Make a change in something in order to establish a new beginning. So we're going to hear from Scripture where someone needed to reboot their understanding of what worship is or was. And even though this moment from the life of Jesus happened in the first century, so a full 2,000 years ago, his words and teaching about worship are just as urgent now as they were then. So don't think for a moment that Scripture is ever irrelevant, especially for today. It is very much relevant to our time and place. Now, for those in the room, maybe you haven't, like, this whole worship thing. Maybe you're like, hey, I haven't been following Jesus long enough to really know what worship is. Like, I think it's singing on Sunday morning. You might be in a good spot because many times it's easier to maybe learn something correctly for the first time than you go, you know, months, even years. And then like, oh, maybe don't have it right and try and go back to square one. That can be harder to do. So if you're sitting here like, well, maybe, like, I'm not entirely sure what worship is to begin with. I haven't even said yes to Jesus as my Lord and Savior yet. You might be in a really good spot. In fact, I think you probably are. And because of that, and hopefully any Sunday, but uh, my words this morning, kind of the message, this is not just for Christian ears. Even though that word worship typically happens in a religious context, We still know what it means to worship. That can pop up, and typically it comes down to sports heroes or like figures we look up to. And typically, when we use the word worship, it's like, who do you adore? Who do you revere? And that that definition is going to hold true for our time this morning. But especially because this morning is not just for the ears of Jesus' followers. Everybody, no matter who you follow, no matter who you call your God, if you have a God at all, everybody worships something. Sometimes we worship many somethings. We probably wouldn't use that word worship for ourselves, but the practice is there. Or if you're not quite comfortable with that phrasing, every one of us has a master. That's probably more extreme, but everybody serves somebody, whether you're able to label that thing or person now or not. So let's kind of get into this piece and talk about worships, what Scripture has to say. We're going to be reading from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. Now, this is a long chapter. Don't let that scare you. We're not reading all of it. But this is a long chapter, and if you're a Bible reader, then you'll likely know this is the section as where uh, Jesus has this life-changing conversation with a Samaritan woman. It's a very, very popular chapter to read from, read about, to preach about. It's familiar to a lot of us. And actually, to be honest, when I was given this text, I can't say that I was excited about it. Um, And you're like, is that allowed? Yeah, it's allowed. Um, I still like it. Like, I still read it. Like, it's still scripture. But I was like, oh. Like, I've heard so many John 4 sermons and so many, you know, authors use this as an example for the book and all that, but I was relieved because the section we're going to talk about is one I've never gotten to teach on or preach on, Um, because usually with this passage, um, again, especially if you're familiar with it, typically um, it's taught or talked about from the angle of just how many um, social boundaries Jesus crosses just to reach somebody in his name. And that is true. We're just not reading that section today. Uh, We're just having this conversation again on worship with this Samaritan woman. Some background for those who in the room who care or interested, uh, just some background and context. Jesus is traveling with his disciples from Judea to Galilee, and that's a walk that takes about two and a half days. <clears throat> and they choose to go through Samaria, which is not something that typically happened. Um, if you were to look at a map, you'll see Judea down here, Jerusalem up here, and many Jews, they, made it, they, they extended their trip, but they would walk around, yeah, like that, They would walk around Samaria because, honestly, just the Jews, the Samaritans, they did not get along for any number of reasons. But they choose to go through Samaria, even though most people try to avoid them. They don't get along. And here's why. Each group, the Jewish people and the Samaritans, each group thinks that they have the market cornered on God and religion, at least of the time. And Jews also looked down on Samaritans because they were descended from mixed peoples, mixed marriages, mixed races, all that. So, in Harry Potter vernacular, they're mudbloods. Does that communicate? We got it. Cool. If you don't know, ask someone next to you. Ask a young person next to you. <laughs> anyway, as Jesus and his disciples are walking again through Samaria, they stop outside this little town called Sychar. Sometimes it's called Shechem, depending on where you're reading in Scripture. Uh, they pass through in the middle of the day, high noon, even. And the disciples, they go into town to get some lunch, and a tired, weary Jesus sits down at a well by himself to rest. And then the Samaritan woman comes to draw water, and Jesus strikes up a conversation. Might look something like that. Now we'll pause. You need to know that there are many different truths and practices of Jesus to imitate in this chapter. Again, this chapter has 40-some verses, and you could throw a dart and hit a verse and like, wow, there's something really to latch on to as far as how to model my life after the life of Jesus. Any Jesus follower would do well to do a deep dive into all that Jesus is doing at this well and put into practice those uh, behaviors. But we're going to start reading from verse 19 if you have your Bible, your hard copy, or if you're following on the Bible app, either you version, or you can access the scripture through the Southwest app as well. But you need to know that by this point in the conversation, we're about halfway through. At this point in the conversation, the Samaritan woman realizes that Jesus isn't your average guy. Jesus, in his omniscience and his all knowingness, he has revealed some very intimate knowledge he has about her. Shameful, embarrassing, even on her part. But yet she's chosen to be vulnerable with Jesus and continue in conversation. She didn't have to, but she continues on in conversation. Well, the Samaritan woman is about to ask a question, and scholars are divided on why she asks. Some think because, you know, Jesus has kind of tread into some very private parts of her life, some think that she's trying to keep Jesus from getting even more personal, and she's just trying to change the subject, which many of us are probably good at, if we're poked and prodded enough. But others think that the Samaritan woman realizes that she's not talking to just anybody, Like, this isn't just some random guy who's passing through town. There's something special and holy about this person. And maybe she just wants to take advantage of this moment, and she wants to hear what Jesus has to say on one of the hottest topics, one of the most controversial topics of that day and time. And the church always has hot topics, don't we? And they change with the times. They often reflect what's going on in the the world around us. But we have a few today, and I'm sure that if we collectively, or you, had a private audience with Jesus, you'd probably take advantage and you'd want to ask him about it, right? Here's just a few hot topics. How does one's sexual identity and sexual preferences relate to following Jesus? How does that fit? That's a big one, right? How about another one? Is racism really a problem in our communities? And if so, whose job is it to fix it? Here's another big one. What would Jesus have to say about women's rights in a certain recent Supreme Court decision? All hot topics. Controversial, explosive even always been the case. As long as there have been followers, there have been topics like this. And adding to the tension of all those questions is that most people, maybe all of us in this room, have very strong opinions on all those questions and topics, right? But again, if you had one-on-one time with Jesus, aren't there some things you'd like to ask him about? That might be among them. Verse 19, Here's how it reads. Here's the big question. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Andrew, that's the hot topic question. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> The question is, why do you worship one place and we worship in another? That's it? Yeah. That's the hot topic at this time and place, first century among these people. And you know why? Because of this. Worship matters. That might be the biggest reason why it's such a hot topic. Worship is a very personal thing who, what, and why we worship. It hits at the very core of our beliefs, and it hits at how we think the world works and what the world is all about. And it matters what we revere, and it matters who gets our adoration. Worship matters. Now, here's some more background about why this place and why that place between the Jews and the Samaritans. For the Jews and the Samaritans, it came down to how they viewed scripture. And normally, like, you know, Andrew, do we really need to know this um, yeah, I think it's helpful because even if we, you know, bring our hot topics that are hot topics today, a lot of us can defend our even opposing views by going to Scripture, right? Many of us can say, oh, I can defend my position because in Bible it says this. And it does. They're doing the same thing. But it came down to how they view Scriptures. So in the table of contents of your Bible, you'll find that the Old Testament is made up of 39 books. And those are writings that were put together before Jesus is born and comes to earth in physical form. Now, out of those 39, the Samaritans, they only counted the first five as scripture. We know that as the Pentateuch or the Torah, but the Jews counted all 39. So already we know where some tension's coming from. Now, if you were only to read the first five books, it would make sense that the right place to worship is Mount Gerizim, which actually is right next door to Sychar. It's right there. So the woman at the well would have pointed like this mountain right here. It was in full view. And it makes sense to be that mountain because if you, again, those first five books, God did a lot of very monumental, meaningful things with the Israelites, his chosen people from that mountain. But if you read all 39 books, then it's clear that Jerusalem is the right place to worship. Anyway, here's how Jesus responds to the woman's question. Verse 21, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Here's what Jesus is saying. When it comes to true worship, geography is irrelevant. It's not nearly as important as you think it is. He says the time in coming, in fact, the time is right now, real worship isn't about place and it isn't confined to a place. It happens in spirit and in truth. Now, while that answer likely would have shocked the Samaritan woman, no one here gasped when I read that text, right? There was not a chorus of, <gasps> It's no news to us that we can worship anywhere. Church building, living room, in your car on the way to work. You can worship anywhere, and you should. God is everywhere. God is spirit. That's in Scripture. That's in verse 24 that we just read. But for the 21st century follower and those curious about him, Jesus would have further words for us on how worship should be done. And this is the part where I confess that I haven't always been able to take musical worship seriously. For example, just because of how my mind works, I've been known to ruin worship songs for myself and others. Sometimes I think of alternate lyrics. Does anyone else have this problem? Many of us know the excellent worship song, How He Loves. In fact, uh, because it's worship and, hey, we don't mind, we'll even have the words on screen. You can sing along with me. How He Loves. It starts up like this. He is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. Isn't that a beautiful opening line? You know what I think of? I think of Muhammad Ali. And here's why. He is jealous for me, floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee. (laughs) Or my imagination can go in the wrong direction. There's the beautiful song called Holy Spirit. We sing it together from time to time. The chorus is this. Again, sing along, please. It helps me out. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Beautiful, worshipful. But I have trouble getting past the first line. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Here's what I imagine. I imagine the Holy Spirit loitering in the church lobby as service starts, and as we sing that line, it's like we throw up in the back doors, and Holy Spirit, you can come in now, like he's not already here. I have more. I will not share them. We still sing some of these songs. But Jesus says the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean for us? Spirit here refers to the the human spirit. In this case, when Jesus says in spirit and truth, it doesn't refer uniquely to the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the human spirit, that non-physical piece of us that makes us who we are. That's our personalities, that's our thoughts, all of that. Simply put, it is your heart. God wants all of your heart when you worship him with no holding back. I can't remember if Roger quite got into this last week. I know he did some etymology on the word worship, but that word worship, where it comes from, it comes from a Greek word meaning, again, reverence and adoration, but um, it also evokes a certain physical posture. Proskuneo is the the verb, I worship. So if that word was used, again, to Jesus' hearers, it would bring to their mind a posture, maybe kissing someone's hand out of worship, someone who's maybe at a higher class than you. Or maybe um, it would have brought to mind just the image of getting down on one knees as an act of worship, an act of submission, obedience, humility, all that. I can't tell you the last time I got down on my knees in an act of worship. Or if you want to go a step further, this wasn't the only one. Uh, Sometimes it was like that word "prostrate," even a step beyond on your knees, and it was just like a lying prostrate on the ground, like you are just cannot get low enough because God is so greater than and above you. I just turned 34 back in May, and I'm at that age where I try really hard not to make noise when I get up. So... I didn't plan on doing that. <laughs> but actually, just something really cool, just like exploring postures of worship. Um, after this series, in August, we're going to do a five-week series just out of the book of James, and we were talking about James. This is the brother of Jesus, and um, some of you may know, James's nickname was like Old Camel Knees, which, what does that mean? Um, his his thinking was camel knees because he was on his knees in worship and prayer so often that his knees became just so callous like that of the knees of a camel. That's intimidating to try and live up to, right? But worship that they can evoke or even bring in a certain posture of worship from us. All let's say it is very okay to be demonstrative or even physically expressive in our worship. In fact, God craves it. Some physical action. And like, we can be honest, we could probably stand to be more expressive in our musical worship at Southwest, right? You know, during our musical worship, even this morning, I was looking around, a lot of us, we act like there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex in the room, like, don't move. (laughs) You can't see us if we don't move, right? And you might say, well, Andrew, we can see you in the front row here during music. You're not very demonstrative either. Well, you're right. I'm not. Honestly, I can count on both hands the times that I've even raised my arms in worship. And I, as I sing, sometimes I'll close my eyes. On rare occasions, I'll you know, sing with my palms upturned. That's a, you know, a worship posture, just you know, receiving and letting go, but receiving what God might have for me in that moment. But also, I'm not a naturally demonstrative guy in much of anything. Uh, I was at a wedding reception recently. Many of you were there as well and was dragged to the middle of the dance floor. I danced out of peer pressure. Three and a half seconds of of torture. It was terrible, terrible. Some of you might say, well, I don't need to do anything with my arms. Or I don't like to sing, so I just repeat and sing those words on the inside. I sing them in my mind. That's just not how I worship or express myself. I might say, you might be right, but are you 100% sure about that? Men, how physical and vocal are you when your team wins in the final seconds. I'm guessing it's not a lot of sitting on the couch, expressionless. Women, how into it are you when you get to go to a concert of a band that you love? Not demonstrative? I just don't worship that way? Maybe think again, with the point being this, why wouldn't you let your creator get all of your heart? Worship is adoring God with your everything, our thoughts, our words, our desires, how we behave, and it is not just the hour on Sunday morning, it is with your life. So that's what it means to worship in spirit. But how about in truth? Truth is a very tricky word these days, especially when everyone gets their own truth, right? And I say that facetiously. I'm someone who believes in absolute truth. You might be in the club with me on that, but I think absolute truth is out there. We can know it. But I also find whenever someone starts expressing their truth, what they're really expressing are their feelings and their emotions at that time. However valid that might be. I'm not discounting people's thoughts and feelings. But feelings and emotions change, don't they? Often, many times in a given day or hour. One thing I love about truth, and you should as well, is truth does not change. If it changes, it was never truth to begin with. I would say absolute truth, undeniable, unchanging absolute truth, is found in Scripture and in the person of Jesus. That's where I go to if I need to know if something is true or not. I go to Scripture, I go to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't change. That is a scriptural promise here out of Hebrews. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unchanging. We can put our faith in that. And we should. We put our faith in that. We'll be in good shape. Now, to use a heavy, churchy word... What we hold to be true in Jesus is called our doctrine. Again, that is not a word. I think it's, that may be the first time that word's spoken from this stage. It's not one that we typically use, but it's just that heavy churchy word, doctrine, just those foundational, unchanging, our faith in Jesus, what we believe about him. That's what your doctrine is. Your foundational beliefs about Jesus and God's place in the world. And the only way to worship in truth is if you believe and have faith in Jesus as Scripture presents him. I'll say that again. It's really important. The only way to worship in truth is if you believe and have faith in Jesus as Scripture presents him. And you can only worship in truth if you worship the God described in the pages of the Old and New Testaments. This is not a create-your-own-God situation. Here's why I said earlier that when it comes to worship, it's not so much that many of us are getting it wrong so much as we're not getting it completely right. For instance, if in your lifestyle of worship you keep a humble spiritual attitude but you don't agree with who God is in Scripture, you're not really worshiping. You know, even among Christians, Scripture is being taken less and less seriously. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Barner Research Group, but they just came out with another study, and just like, you know, for however many years in a row, just even Christians, trust, fully trust in Scripture, is going down, 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 down. You know, among those who call themselves Christians, if they come across something in Scripture they don't like or agree with, they have permission to write it off. Oh, read this verse, read this chapter, I don't like it. Well, it doesn't line up with my truth, it's out. That is not a worshipful act. I don't know if you've been able to go through starting point with me, but when I get to the part about reading the Bible, I kind of go off book. But just a practice, hopefully can serve you. I think I've mentioned it from, from this place before. But if ever I come across something in Scripture that I bristle against or rub up against or like, I'm not even sure if I want to believe that, here's the worshipful posture of a Jesus follower. It's my responsibility to submit myself to what Scripture says. I'm the one who needs to change, not Scripture. That's a worshipful posture that you are able to take. Now, the other side is equally true. If you have faith in who Scripture says God is, but you keep your heart out of worship, guess what? You're not really worshiping. Words of Jesus again. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Here's the point of the morning, kind of the bottom line. It's this. Worship has very little to do with Sunday and everything to do with your heart and how you view God. Unfortunately, I have to address this. You might say, Andrew, are you saying the Sunday morning gathering isn't a big deal? Don't you dare hear that from me. I'm not saying that at all. I am not someone, and we don't teach the idea that, oh, I don't need to come to church, the woods are my church, or that's my sanctuary. No, you need to be here. There are commands, there are, you know, we are a body, there's no such thing as a solo Christian. The corporate Sunday morning gathering, it is an understood truth that this is just what the body of Jesus does. So I am not down on this gathering. In fact, no, if you're here, you need to be here. here's how the story with the Samaritan woman ends. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when the time came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So we stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because what we have we heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world." If we consistently live with our eyes fixed on Jesus and hungry for a relationship with him, then our very existence will be full of adoration and reverence in both spirit and truth. That's one of the kind of goals of the series. I think Roger, hopefully he got at this last week. I'm here to kind of double stamp it, is worship is a lifestyle. Worship is not just an hour on Sunday morning. Worship is everything that we do. I was thinking of worship this week, or really, you know, not just because I had the CERN beach, because of some certain images I found or saw. You likely saw them too. You know, early last week, NAS, they released these brand new images of the cosmos from the James Webb telescope. Come, I mean, you've seen this, show of hands. We've seen a lot of these. Yeah. And we've never been able to see so clearly or so deeply into the universe before, Now I'm going to ask the team in back to kind of bring down as much lights as possible. Even if I, even stage lights, I got my flashlight up here so I can still read. Um, But I want us to collectively look at some of these images. I believe that these images, they point to a creator God worthy of our worship, reverence, and adoration. And we have an ever-present opportunity to know God through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it possible for us to know God. Now, as these images start to kind of go through on screen, I'm going to read a final scripture. I'm going to read it slowly about Jesus, and then we'll have communion together. Take a look. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Let's pray over communion. Father, I pray for nothing less than all of us a collective sense of awe. That is the the very least of what we can give you that we can be brought to a place of worship, of adoration and reverence, just from your creation alone, let alone what you do for us every single day of our lives, or at least for those of us who call you Lord and Savior. As we are worshiping together as one body, as that is supremely important, so we as one body are going to remember your broken body for us as a moment of thanks, as a moment of gratitude, as a moment of worship. So I pray that you help us in bringing our hearts to that place. And then we can continue on in a spirit of adoration. In Jesus' name.